if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. I'm Greg Smith, your host. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Corey Lakatos, who you met last time. Corey is a convert to the Catholic faith, and in fact, our roads to Rome ran alongside each other and crossed at some points, and we entered the church on the same day, although at neighboring parishes. Since then, Corey has come on staff at Our Lady of the Lake and at the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. At Our Lady, he serves as the Director of Community Life, overseeing things like communication, assimilation, hospitality, and our parish guilds program. At the Lakeshore Academy, or Lane, Corey manages our online platform, does marketing and student communications, as well as creating the curriculum for our Lane Families program. He's a busy guy, especially with three young children at home. So I'm not only grateful that he's a part of our team, but that he could carve out the time to join me for the podcast. I've called this episode Making More and Better Catholics. I put a question mark at the end because Corey and I had this wide-ranging and deep-dive conversation about why he became Catholic and how we can encourage and assist others to discover the Catholic faith and then follow that faith into the church. And then we talked about how we can help them, or, or us for that matter, to grow in the Catholic faith and participate more fully in the life of the church. Because evangelization doesn't end with the sacrament of confirmation. That's the mistake that I see too many parishes making, and it's based on bad theology and really some unhealthy assumptions, which sometimes border on arrogance. The theology and assumption that once someone becomes Catholic at confirmation, they get their ticket punched, so to speak, they're in and done. They don't need to keep on learning, keep on growing, and keep on serving, going higher up and deeper into Christ and his kingdom through his church. Now, for those of you that work in your parish as a volunteer, council member, or staff person, Corey and I also talked about ways to improve parish communications and organize ministry programs more effectively. I think you'll see that Corey is a really bright and knowledgeable person with tremendous insights into what the last five popes have called the new evangelization. So welcome back, Corey. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. If somebody who's listening to this were to be able to ask you the question, ultimately, why are you a Catholic? Share with them why you are a Catholic and maybe why they should be too. Yeah, absolutely. So there's obviously a lot of reasons, and uh, some are more important than others. 
I'm with Chesterton in in his um, assertion that the reason to be Catholic is because it's true. I think that truth compels that we have to act on truth, um, that just for our own integrity and in faithfulness to God, that if we become convinced that something is true, that has to affect our behavior. Um, and so I suppose I would say to, to the listener or to the, to the person that, that they're speaking to is, what do you believe is, is true about the Catholic Church? Have you come to the conclusion that, that its claims are true and that, that its claims about itself are true? Are you, are you uh, considering that question of, of whether it's true or not um, and, and you haven't reached a conclusion? Or even if you're at the point where you, you still you know, don't believe that it is true, um, and are you acting in accord with, with that belief about the truth? If, if you believe that it's true, have you acted? Are, are you coming well, towards it? Well, it, it's, it, it puts the ball at your end of the court. Right. What are you going to do now? But I think I remember a, distinctly a conversation that I had with you. And I had, as we talked about, I had for 20 years prior to that been seriously investigating Catholicism. I mean, reading the books, traveling, visiting Catholic places, talking to Catholic people, but scholars, whatnot. And I had this moment where it occurred to me, as you say with Chesterton's essay, it occurred to me, oh my, it's true. I think there was a line in one of those recent Star Wars films where they were talking about the Jedi or something, and he says, it's true. Oh, yeah, all of it. All of it. All of it was true. And I remember this moment where I thought, egads, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I remember the conversation with you where I think we were sitting in my office and I said, I think it's all true. Now I have to enter the Catholic Church because once you come to that place where it, you come to that conclusion, well, now what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to do, to practice your faith in a way that you believe is untrue? Or not fully, yeah, not not living in the fullness of the truth. Right. Um, at that f- point, I felt like to do anything else, I was living a lie. If I believe that Catholicism is true, then why am I not in the Catholic Church? How do I How do, not only have to answer why I am Catholic, I'd have to answer why I am not Catholic. Right, right. I think you kind of came to that conclusion as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say similarly— um, it, it was a process of, of thinking through some questions, um, and any Protestant uh, who's thinking about the Catholic Church is going to have sort of the standard set of questions, uh, the Pope, the saints, Mary, um, not, to, not to diminish or denigrate that in any way, but that, those are sort of the, the top ones. Yeah, that's the checklist. There might, check, there might the be a few others on, yeah. on that list. For me, it was the jump to believing Catholicism true was easy at certain levels, right? So there's a, you know, I, I think one of, you know, an entry point where you start going, well, the moral theology makes sense. Yes. In fact, most of my conservative Protestant friends are attracted to Catholicism because the moral theology makes so much and sense. And that actually was a big deal for me, too. Actually, when I was doing marriage prep, you handed me the Catechism of the Catholic Church and said, read the marriage bit, it's really good. Yeah, and I read the, the marriage yeah. bit, and it was really good, and it, yeah. it made much more sense than anything else I had ever read about marriage right. and sexuality. Well, all, it's funny, all the years that I was in uh, on that point, you know, all the years that I was in 
um, professional ministry, and I did weddings, uh, performed weddings, and did pre-marriage counseling, and I had cycled through all the different sort of Protestant pre-marriage counseling books. And when I was working in Christian publishing, we actually published a number of those books, and we had our best-selling authors, and I, of course, had all those books. And and I used them, and I cycled through them. And then when I was on this in this process, and I got to a certain point where I simply bought a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and used the index and flipped to the pages on uh, marriage, I went, this is better than all of the books that I've used over the years in explaining uh, marriage and and the concept of marriage and moral theology of marriage and everything else. I went, this is better than all of those books and the books that we published at the big Christian publisher that I worked at. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things that Protestants are attracted to. What I found is that Mary is this sort of hurdle they have to get over. But for me, it's interesting because, like you, at a certain point, I it, it was a beautiful thing. And I loved the devotion. I had traveled in Europe and seen the shrines and been in the wonderful... Um, basilicas and chapels and things like that, and was attracted to that and the art and everything else. But my Calvinist biblical education, right? So having had to learn how to read the Old Testament, the original Hebrew, and the New Testament and the Greek, right? This was so pounded into me that it had to be it had to be biblical, and it was pounded into me that the Marian doctrines are completely unbiblical, right? So as much as it was attractive, it felt like a beautiful lie. And then I remember when I, it felt like you found the cheat code for your Xbox game. And, you know, when once I had, I entered the cheat code in the Xbox game, it all got easy. And what happened is I read a couple of things about Mary and Marian theology that in a sense unlocked the biblical cheat code. And I was able to read all of the biblical passages. But once all of a sudden I was I looked at them through this the the proper Marian under understanding of Marian theology, all of those passages unlocked and it all made sense. And it was that moment of Egad's this is true. Mm-hmm. And then at that point for me, once I knew the once I crossed that Marian hurdle, it would be dishonest for me to not enter the Catholic Church. Right. Again, back to the question, why are you a Catholic? And what would you say to somebody who was listening? The first is obviously that it's true. Now there is a certain sort of person, and to be honest, you and I are that sort of person, that are sort of intellectually driven, driven by the intellectual aspects of the faith, um, you know, want to investigate the cl- truth claims and the theology and the biblical aspects and blah, 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 blah. But not everybody is intellectually oriented. Right. Not everybody is going to get there by reading books. So what? other than that intellectual level... Maybe level is not their word, but intellectual. If you think of if you think of faith as a three legged stool or a four legged stool or a nine level stool or whatever many legs the stool has, that's one. Right. But what are the other things that make you a Catholic? Yeah, um, I, I think that's right, and there are a lot of different. <coughs> excuse me. That's right. There are a lot of different aspects to it, and people's uh, dispositions are different. Um, one one thing that I think is is less intellectual, and that was on my mind and on my heart at the time, was the idea of of Christian unity or of ecumenism. Um, and 
I became convinced that um, joining the Catholic Church was was actually a, a step in that direction rather than a step away from that direction. Um, at some point, I quipped to my wife that I wanted to go join the original non-denominational church, right? Um, which, which is what the Catholic Church is. And and now things things are very messy at this stage in history; have always been. Um, but we have so many different Protestant denominations that there's a, a temptation to say, well, let's just kind of erase the differences and get down to sort of the, I mean, this is um, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, but down to the lowest common denominator right. um, between all the different groups. and, and That's then, not even tongue-in-cheek, that's just honest. I guess it's probably true. Yeah, I don't want to be a jerk about it, but... Um, uh, and, th- and then we'll have unity because we'll have kind of uh, thrown out the window anything that, that could be disunion. We've reduced this down to the things that nobody could possibly disagree with. The, and the problem is that even even those things, people find a way to disagree with because um, you've got different wings. And of course, you, you, you've got plenty of um, dissent and dispute within the Catholic Church too, but you have underlying unity. In a sense, when you were moving, when you're moving through the fractured world, Protestant world, or the fractured world of Protestant evangelicalism, where there's 50,000 different splinters of it, you know, whatever, that's not ecumenical to bounce around. You want to come to some place that is foundational and is consistent. I mean, that was a moment for me, too, that, that I found that when I was traveling and I would visit a Catholic church, wherever I was, and I went in and I sat down or sat on a kneel, you know, kneel down or whatever, I had this sense that I was home in the sense I was I was inside Holy Mother Church, right? I was inside the church of, well, we say, you know, the 20 centuries, 24 time zones, two hemispheres, people from every race, language, and nation. Especially when I was traveling, and on Monday I was in a Lutheran church, and on Tuesday I was in a Baptist church, and on Thursday I was in Assemblies of God church, and I was in this and that to go, I'm in the church. Mm-hmm. It's inclusive in a lot of ways that I think Protestant ecumenism uh, can't can't imitate. Um, that there's so many different um, orders and charisms within the church that that the the expression of your faith in Christ can can look fairly different in a lot of different ways that are all legitimate. And the the forces of unity in the church of of orthodoxy of belief of um, uh, su- submission to um, to hierarchy and to, to legitimate apostolic leadership holds that together right. um, in a way where you have a lot of those same forces and charisms mm-hmm. being expressed in the Protestant Church, but they they sort of draw away from from right. the center. Whereas if you have um, the not just the the history and the uh, sort of the the heritage of Catholicism. But also the concrete, you know, the 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 living magisterium of today. You you have the pope, you have the bishop, right. um, you have this leadership that can hold it together, and and also that I think it becoming Catholic made me more aware of the underlying unity that I did have with my Protestant friends mm-hmm. and with other Christians. That we we are united in our baptism and in our faith in Christ. There are ways in which we are not fully united, that our communion is not complete, but I have more of an awareness and an understanding and a language for for understanding both the very deep and meaningful and profound and real unity that we have, 
and also the ways in which that is imperfect. Whereas I think in, in Protestant ecumenism, there just isn't the, I didn't find the same level of, of understanding that there was. Well, it was more as, ambiguous. As a practical matter in history, the Jesuits and Dominicans would have just become two different denominations sure, sure. Uh, that don't talk to each other, <laughs> you know, right, and have anything to do with each other. But in a sense, the, the genius of the Catholic Church is to hold all of this together because that's Catholic. That's what right. the word means. It means universal. And we hold all of the diversity of the church and the types of aspects unified around, you know, central truths. Right, right. So, so it's an intellectual thing. Um, you began to believe it was true. You wanted to be united with the church of history and time and space. Any other reasons why you would be Catholic or you would share with somebody else why they should be Catholic? Yeah, I think the the fundamental or the foundational reason is is closeness with Christ because that's that's the point. That's what it's all about. If I had right. investigated the Catholic Church and I said, "Well, this is really cool and this is really historical and I really like this, but it's not going to help me know Jesus better." Right. Then to hell with it. Right. Um but all of that contributes to the fact that it helps me know Jesus better and it helps me to to love my neighbor better, um, to become holy. I mean, pray God that he will make me so. Um, there's lots of work yet to do on that. But um, you you had alluded to, I think, earlier, the the practical works of the church, like caring, caring for the poor or, or spreading the gospel, evangelical works, that I think a deeper rooting in the sacraments um, in in the church herself equips us for those things. Right. Um, that that's why you see the great saints who who spent themselves to to care for the poor, right. um, or went to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel. All of these things that um, that Protestants would one hundred percent agree those are the things we ought to do. Y- yeah, right. But I mean, there's an order in operations, a sort of a cause and effect thing. And right. I think that's the point I was trying to make. Uh, I think this was in our last interview, and last episode. I wasn't saying that going and cleaning up trash in the park is a bad thing right? or a thing that Christians wouldn't do or Catholics wouldn't do. But the point was it is because we encounter Christ in the sacraments and Christ changes us through the sacraments that, that that's the cause, the effect of which is I go clean up and make a difference in this world. Right. It doesn't work the other way. I don't go out and do those things which th- those are the cause which the effect is I become Christian. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the cause and effect relationship just to be clear on that. Right. Right. And I think too it's interesting, you know, you talk about Jesus um, meeting Christ. I mean, for me, it, it, this can't be just a club for history and philosophy majors. Right. Right. Um, and I think f- for people like yourself or myself or certain you know kinds of people Someone might be listening, going, "Oh my gosh, Catholicism!" I don't, I don't really relate with Catholic, that. I don't yeah. relate to this. I've, they've already turned away from. You know, they've already turned off this podcast because this is just a history philosophy major club. But it isn't that. At the end of the day, if I wasn't meeting Jesus here and I wasn't meeting Christ, I was reading in my morning devotions today something from Saint Francis de Sales, and he was talking about Christian devotion when you don't feel it. He said, frankly, whether you feel it or not is, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's great if you can feel it, but you do it because you do it. And I was thinking about that in terms of the Eucharist. 
You know, when I go to Mass, I meet Christ because of the sacrament. And I'll be honest with you, for anybody who's listening, maybe you can relate, Corey, maybe you're a better person than me, but <laughs> there's plenty of times that I go to Mass when I'm not feeling it. Oh, sure. It's not, not every single time, yeah. I, and yet I know that I've met Christ there because the sacramental character of the Church and the incarnational character of the Church, I met Christ where he intersected us at the Eucharist, whether I felt it or not. Right. It, it's objective rather than merely subjective. And, right. and there's nothing wrong with subjectivity. It can be very good and useful, but it's not something to, to base your life on um, or to base your, your devotion right. to, to Christ on. Um, it, it can be a very good effect of the objective reality that Christ is present, um, that Christ is working, that Christ is giving grace. But if, if that objective reality isn't there... In your work here as a community life director, let's start there, one of the things you do is organize opportunities for people to be engaged with the Church, and you've found interesting ways to help people who are uh, at different of different ages or stages of life or temperaments or dispositions or personality types or whatever you want to call it, for them all to find ways to engage with the Church and engage with Christ, all the way on the one side from, for example, I know you're involved in organizing adoration, Mm -hmm. things like that. So for those people who say, look, I'm not going to be the history philosophy, I'm not going to read Cardinal Henry Newman, I'm not going to read Chesterton, I'm not going to go deep into this kind of thing. Right. I want to enter the Catholic Church, or maybe I'm considering the Catholic Church. Talk to me about the different ways that people can engage with the Church. Yeah, absolutely. So there really is, I think, something for everyone, and the the hope that we have at our parish is to provide those opportunities, to, to facilitate that. Um, so we're always trying to uh, do that in, in different ways or, or do it more completely. Um, I think there is there is a spectrum, and it's not a spectrum of you know good to bad or 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 good better best. It's just different different kinds of engagement that are all necessary, and that different people will have different levels of um, of engagement with either because of their disposition or because of their stage in life or what God happens to be doing with them at at that time, or or perhaps their their level of engagement in their relationship with with Christ and and with the church um always of course hoping to draw people deeper into into that relationship and that engagement so we have things like you said adoration um or we have um opportunities to to pray the rosary or or other opportunities uh, for for corporate prayer or for um coordinated prayer. So we have like a a devotional program for the parish during Lent or during Advent or that kind of thing, um, which is trying to um, be be open to anyone. But of course, different people will be more or less likely to come to adoration or will have more or less of a devotion to the to the rosary. Um, And it's not the idea that everybody needs to go, you know, 110% into any one of these things, but these are all different ways that um, side by side, different members of the parish can grow in their own devotion to Christ and also corporately do that. And trying to make it plain that that is 
the found after the mass, the, the mass itself, the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, are the foundation of any community that we're going to be having here. Um, and then things like prayer and devotion are our outgrowths, our, our continued expressions of, of that unity we find in the sacrament. Um, and like you were saying before, that if that's not foundational, if the, if the encounter with, with Christ in the sacraments and in prayer isn't foundational, then we, we might do some good things, right. but it won't be, we won't be a, a Christian church doing things exactly right i mean so that's where what things um orbit around others right right and it's you know i think diversity works in a couple different ways right i mean in one sense there's a diversity within each of us so i'm not always in love with the word holistic in terms of how it gets used sure uh, one of the wonderful things is a catholic understanding of the human person is that we have different aspects to our personhood, right. uh, different sort of components to our personhood. Uh, we have a rational, intellectual component. We have a physical component. We have an emotional component. We are social. You know, we're social beings. All these different kinds of things. We and we exist within complex communities. We exist within a family. We exist within a you know a community around us, within a workplace, within a parish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that all of the ideally all of those components within us are engaged. Right. It, it's like Christ said, uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are different com- components of each of us that it's not just love the Lord with your whole mind. That would turn the the, the church into just a big study group. It's not just love him with your, with your whole heart. Um, then we would, you know, have a lot of good feelings, but um, it wouldn't be complete. Um, we, we do all of these things in different ways. So you have that, um, to go back to what I was saying before, you have that, that devotional or prayer component, but then you have lots of other expressions of, of the community of the church. So you have things that, that I, I don't run just by myself. Of course, this would be too, too much for, for one person, but you have the, the, the service component or the, the missional component of, of doing, uh, doing good works in the community or in the parish itself. Um, you have Volunteering with right. ministries, helping with people, helping outside the parish. You know, all of us should be doing all of those things. Yeah, and, and then you alluded to also the, the intellectual or the, the level of, of understanding, which, which is important for anyone, um, not, not just those who are sort of think of themselves as, as more uh, students um, or, or history buffs or, or, or theology buffs or whatnot. And so um, we at our parish have Lane, the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. And we'll come back and talk yeah. about that in another episode. Yep, we can talk about that more later, but that, that is um, specifically trying to help people to grow in that, in that intellectual understanding of the faith, not just so that they can you know, have interesting things to say at sure. cocktail parties or whatnot, but so that it can, it can nurture all of, all of the other aspects of their faith as well. Um, and then there's there's simply the the social or the or the communal right. aspect. There's we have um, groups of people who get together for crafting or for golf or yeah. And and all of these things are good and legitimate and ought to be um, wrapped into the Christian. So that becomes this kind of again I don't love the word but this holistic personhood. Right. 
But then there's also a diversity, not only within us, but amongst us. So this is where Paul talks about the body has many members. There's right. the foot and the elbow and the hand and the, you know, whatever. And so we look at finding our place within the community. So as you talk to people about who might be considering Catholicism, talk about the ways that you work as a community life director to help people, in a sense, find their place. Sure. So, so there are different ways that that can can happen, um, and and different finding your place could could mean different sorts of commonalities that you have with other people. It might be that there is a group at the parish or at whatever parish you're at that that is doing an activity that you enjoy, and and then by all means join that group and get to know some other people at the parish who have these uh, similar interests to you, and and that is a way of of building relationships that are meaningful and that that aren't hopefully just staying at the level of we all, you know, like to play sure. golf or whatnot. But that I is I mean you have you have groups that you have within the parish that do crafts, groups that help with uh, cooking for funeral luncheons. You have uh, the Knights of Columbus that do, you know, projects with their hands. Right. They do a lot of a lot of service projects. Um, or there are groups that are centered more more fu- more uh, fundamentally about prayer. Or there are groups that are are founded around study and uh, of the Bible or or of books. And... See, I think this is this is one of the things. Not that those things don't happen in Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. But, oh, they do. It, but sure. it's absolutely kind of part of the Catholic vision. And that's again, we come back to the fact that the word Catholic means universal. It's actually, you know, it's it's essential in a philosophical sense, it's essential to the Catholic Church that we enfold all of these things and that we have this sort of what, integral human development of them. Talk a little bit as the community life director, as a communications director, about evangelization and what you've learned, not only through your own journey, but professionally uh, on church staff, about the kinds of things uh, we'll call them, you know, I like to call them the pushes and pulls, the kinds of things that push people away from the church, and the kind of things that pull them in. If somebody's listening who maybe is a volunteer leader, or a church staff person at another parish, what are the kinds of things that they can do uh, more of to draw people in, and maybe less of to push them out? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That that's a very big subject, and I'm sure I still have a lot to learn about it. I think in terms of pushing and pulling, I think the the main push that I see um, kind of across the board, whether it's people in this parish or, or you know, my family or people I know or, or whoever, um, is that you're not going to make an effort to show up at Mass or, you know, do, do any of the number of things um, or, or come towards the Catholic Church if you're not already a Catholic. If, if you don't think it really matters, it, it, that, right. is, that is not going to be significant in, in your life. It's kind of, well, if that's if that's the kind of thing you're into, um, then by all means do that. But I'm not really into it, and that's okay. I've got, you know, other interests. And so I think it's, and, and people are, are different. They'll, they'll, you know, be better able to see the the foundational importance of a relationship with Christ and, and with the church in different ways. But I think it's articulating that this is something that really matters. We're not just a bunch of hobbyists who happen to, right. whether it's, as you said, sort of the, the history philosophy club or, you know, just 
the people who get to play together and play bridge or golf or, or whatnot, and we just happen to do it at church, that that this is existentially important, that Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth, and that he is remaking each of us um, if if we cooperate with his grace, and that he is redeeming the world. And as Catholics, we are a part of that. When we are at Mass, we are witnessing and being a part of that work that Christ is doing in the world. So I couldn't agree more. In fact, one of the things that I've said frequently is the people always ask, why don't people go to Mass or why are Mass attends? I can tell you the number one reason why people don't go to Mass. It's not even a hard question in my mind, because they don't think they have to, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, I'm not going to do things if I don't think, to your point, they matter or they're necessary or it's, right, uh, important. You know, I know people that will spend an enormous amount of effort uh, separating their trash into the various recycling bins, Mm -hmm. right? It's very important that we separate the trash uh, properly. Uh, And I'm not mocking that. It's because they believe separating their recyclables is existentially important. Right, and and that's presumably because they, they under, and I'm not mocking this either, I take it seriously, but they're, they're probably um, operating out of a larger narrative that if they do that, then they are contributing to, you know, helping the, and the entire they, planet And they to feel be morally right. accountable to do so. Right, and but, that this is a, yeah, moral imperative but, to their neighbor. But yeah. sort of by analogy or whatever extension, if, if, if I, w- people will act out of their convictions. Mm-hmm. If people are not going to mass, it's not part of their convictions that it's as a as and the same person who might be separating their trash is not going to mass because they believe that this matters and that doesn't. So, as a communications director, as a community life director, what can a parish do to well, convince people that it matters? Sure, sure. I I think that for the people who are already here, um, who are the easiest for us to communicate to, whether they're coming to Mass or whether they, you know, are at least, you know, receiving our emails or whatnot, it's is being more explicit about the significance of what it is that we do. It, it's communicating about this is things like the real presence of Christ in, in the Eucharist, um, that it's not just a, you know, a, a social event or a, a symbol or, or an expression of our faith, but that it's it's Christ, Christ's action and Christ's presence articulating that in in a way that that shows that this is more meaningful and more important than the very the very real and, and not not dismissible, way that you're communing with God in your own personal prayer or, you know, there's kind of the cliche, which I hesitate to bring up because I don't want to, yeah, I'm not mocking it. It's people talk about, well, I I experience God more profoundly when I'm out in the woods or on the beach or something. And I'm, and I'm not making fun of that because you truly do experience God in his creation, but this is an order of magnitude different and and above that. And, And so trying to articulate that to the people who's ears that we have, and trying to equip them in order to make that case or, or show that to the people that they have, because they have in their circles. Because the people who aren't in the pews or aren't you know, reading our communications, going to the website, reading emails or, or something like that, 
the way that their point of contact with our parish and with the Catholic Church is the people who are, um, who are in their life. Well, I mean, to some degree, you know, we, we, we talked about working in marketing and branding and communications, which I did and you did as well professionally before coming here. Look, there's brand, uh, there's, there's message discipline, right? So I expect the phone company or, you know, the, the technology company, I expect my communications from Apple are going to be about, you know, Apple and technology. <clears throat> and to some degree, as a communications director, um, you, and that's a crazy notion, but you want the Catholic communications we send out to be about, you know, Catholicism. Right. Yeah. And, and that is, as you say, discipline. It's a matter of um, prioritizing the things that are first things first most second, central. Yeah. yeah. Um, because there's so many things that we could be communicating about, but we need to make sure that we are communicating about the, the, the central important things about the gospel. So as we get close to wrapping this uh, conversation, some final thoughts from you in terms of your experience. What pointers would you have or suggestions would you have? Are there two or three practical bullets that you could give to a parish leader, parish volunteer, anybody who's listening? What are the things that they should focus on to facilitate evangelization? Sure. Um, well, I, th- I think it's like I've been saying before that you you communicate with and you you teach and you com- and you um, sort of nourish and enrich the people that you have coming to church or, or listening in a way that that helps them to to realize the magnitude and the importance of of the faith and and of practice of of the Catholic faith with with sort of the underlying assumption but also explicit um, premise that this is for the purpose of of sharing and and that this isn't something that we are doing just by ourselves for our own benefit but is for the benefit of their friends their family um, of the world and that whether that's sharing the faith explicitly in conversation, whether that's their um, their engagement with with service or, or mission or volunteering or any of that, that that it's all sort of phrased in that way. So Corey, as we land this conversation, for anybody out there that's listening that is considering Catholicism, whether they're on square one or square nine on that process, what's your last word to them? Yeah, I would say really that I would encourage you to to keep looking to to keep whatever your um you know some people will read more, some people will want to to talk to people or they'll they'll want to to go to mass and to experience the liturgy and that will be their primary way of investigating, but I would just encourage you to continue if if the Holy Spirit is is working in your heart and in your mind keep on that. Um, don't sweep it to the side and, and let it go. I really do believe that he is bringing people step by step, stage by stage, closer to Christ, closer to the Catholic Church, his church. And if you have questions, there are lots of good resources, um, whether that's books or websites or, or people that you can talk to. But keep at it, because I, I really do believe that it's it's not just 
for your good. It is, but it's also for the good of your local Catholic community, um, because I, we are talking about holistic or, or however you want to phrase it, that that um, each each individual Christian is is of benefit to to each of the others. Um, but but also that this is something that that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life because He loves you and because because Jesus loves you and wants you to be in a closer relationship with Him and with the other members of His body. So so I guess in, in total, I would say, good for you. I'm excited for you. Keep keep at it. One of the best ways to learn more about Catholicism, its beliefs and practices, saints and stories, heritage and culture, is to visit the places where the Catholic story actually unfolded with someone who can explain it, answer your questions, and help you apply it to your life. Especially as a part of a group of pilgrims that are sharing and supporting and praying for each other as they discover together. That's why the ministry that produces this podcast One Whirling Adventure offers pilgrimage trips. I'll be your guide and teacher, unpacking Catholic faith, life, and heritage for you in some of Catholicism's most significant sites. If you'd like to join me for a pilgrimage to places like Italy, Ireland, Israel, or France, visit the website onewhirlingadventure.org to see the dates and details of upcoming trips. That's onewhirlingadventure.org and click on the travel tab at the top. Let's discover our Catholic faith and heritage together. Our time is winding down, but we end every episode by learning and leaning into one of the classic Catholic prayers. For those of you who are considering Catholicism, consider making this prayer a regular part of your relationship with God. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. Next to the Our Father and the sign of the cross, the most common and fundamental of Catholic prayers is what's usually called the Glory Be. It's called that because Catholic prayers are usually named after the first word or two of the prayer. So in English, it's the Glory Be, In Latin, the first two words are Gloria Patri. It's also known as the lesser doxology. In contrast to the greater doxology, the longer Gloria prayer, which is recited or sung in most Sunday Masses. We'll learn that in another episode. But of course, that raises the question, what is a doxology? The word comes from ancient Greek, meaning giving glory or speaking praise or maybe in the language of the contemporary church, just praising God. It's a very ancient form of prayer. I mean, for example, the Psalms are full of doxologies. The first two words, glory be, can grammatically be taken two ways. They can be taken as an imperative verb, like give glory to, or as an intercession, may glory be given to. Which makes the glory be not just a declaration that the Holy Trinity is glorious and worthy of praise, but a prayer that asks God to bring praise unto himself 
and encourages everything on earth and in heaven to praise the Holy Trinity that is the source of all being. From ancient times, even in the Jewish tradition of the Psalms or in the liturgy of the synagogues of Jesus' day, doxologies have always been added to other prayers, readings, and songs. Thus, we recite the glory be often in our liturgies and devotions. Now, that's not the vain repetition that some Protestants criticize Catholicism for. Instead, it's a foretaste of the music of heaven, in which endless crescendos of praise rise to the Holy Trinity from all the hosts of angels and saints. The Glory Be Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting OneWhirlingAdventure.com dot org.